Good morning. You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. I'm Lily Sloan, and I'm a therapist in San Francisco. And I'm here to help you discuss your life questions and talk about the intersection of psychotherapy, personal growth, and activism. Today, I'll have two special guests joining me in the second hour. If you would like to join in the conversation, tweet at me during the show at at radical underscore advice, uh, or you could message on Facebook. Uh, if you know me uh, well enough to have my number, you could text me. If you have uh, life questions you want at a few want addressed at a future date, you can submit them anonymously at radicaladviceshow.com. And uh, yeah, you were if you were listening already to BFF, uh, last up was Boy With Girls Name Morning Mixtape, Sasha, and uh, just some, something to be excited for and prepared for. Next Tuesday is a very special day because it is Sasha's birthday and it's my birthday. And so I'm, I won't be on Radical Advice next week. We'll have a rerun, but I am going to come in extra early for Sasha's show. And we're going we're gonna to do a special mix together for our shared birthday. So definitely tune in then. Uh, I also want to make sure it's clear um, that this show today does not replace any kind of mental health treatment. And by discussing listener questions... We're not diagnosing or treating any specific mental health concerns, and I encourage you to seek help from a trained professional. So I am really actually looking forward to today's show because I get kind of grumpy when it's over 70 degrees, like I know I know that this isn't necessarily that hot to other people, but I'm super not into it. So today's show is all about climate anxiety. Yes, I know like even without climate change, it would be hot sometimes and I'd still be complaining. But in this case, I kind of make it about, I'll I'll sometimes conflate it with my fear about what's going on with the environment. So instead of a nice uh, summertime, chilling on the beach kind of show, this is a show where we talk about what's coming up around this. Um, you know, you don't listen to the show because you want to feel because you don't want to feel things, do you? So in the first hour or so, I'm going to talk about this and share my playlist of climate anxiety songs. And well, they're not all about anxiety. Some of them are just about how nice nature is. I'm not a total monster. But um, to jump in today's, to jump into today's brief meditation, I'm going to play what I'm playing right now, which is uh, Andrew Bird's A Hole in the Ocean Floor. Because it's really about what today's show is about. So just take a moment to... Step away from whatever you're doing, either physically or mentally. If you can close your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes. And just notice 
what's going on with your breath, your body. Feeling any of those subtle sensations that you might not pay attention to otherwise. Feeling the rise and fall of your breath in your chest, in your belly. Breathing and noticing.
You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. Today's show is uh, all about climate anxiety and the various ways we're coping with the, the terrifying news that the end is nigh. That song you just heard was... Um, a Hole in the Ocean Floor by Andrew Bird. Really beautiful, kind of peaceful song, but he's also lamenting about this anxiety. He's thinking, there's a hole in the ocean floor. Please, like, stop it from bleeding out. Um, right now in the background, you're hearing Climate Prediction by Lottie Eliza. So, I said the end is nigh, but it, it's not like the end is nigh in, in a apocalypse movie kind of way, even though it feels like that sometimes. Um, and it does include some of that stuff. Like we're already seeing a lot of more natural disasters and um, pretty scary, horrific events happening. But for our t- human time frame, the destruction to the Earth's ecosystems that we're experiencing isn't happening in just a day it's happening over decades and it's hard to grasp unless you lost your home in a fire or flood or your crops won't grow but we're all noticing it now you participate in conversations like wow it really seems like the last few summers have been hotter than i remember our summers being or are there more hurricanes and wildfires than usual? You get the picture. Like talking about the weather is feeling more heavy and uh, important than friendly small talk. So recently a listener wrote in, I'm grappling with how to squeeze another few decades out of this planet under the litany of circumstances grappling with if I, we, even want to. Hmm. So whatever we do, if we are able to stave off future decimation of the planet, so much already can't be undone. And people in vulnerable communities have to prepare. Here in the Bay Area, many of us are now stocked up on N95 masks and air purifiers, if you can afford it. We're like preparing for what we now have to adapt to. Dealing with climate change means a lot of things. It means fighting for the large scale action we desperately need to see over the next 10 years. It means adapting to how we live, to cope with the changes that have already happened. And it means grieving what's already lost. The person who wrote in seems to be talking about this feeling of wanting to say fuck it. I don't have the energy for this fight. Maybe I'll just go down with the ship. Which is an understandable reaction to a terrifying, overwhelming situation that, like many of the things we talk about on the show, leave us feeling really powerless. Like, if my individual recycling habits aren't really the point, (laughs) that it's massive corporations and governments and and pollution on on mass mass scales and and systems and and you know whole institutions that need to change 
to make those individual changes even possible, yeah, it can feel like there's not much we can do. And that sucks. So let's listen to some songs about this tenuous, deep relationship we have with our planet. Because this, this has been going on for forever since, you know, human beings kind of, I think, developed consciousness and, and, and there was this sense that of differentiation between us and nature, like man versus nature, instead of thinking of ourselves as uh, an integral part of nature and, in, and nature being an integral part of us. This, this separation that has led to a tremendous amount of damage, but we have a relationship with the planet, with these resources, and we need it. So when I was putting together today's playlist, I was listening to Algius Harding's song Horizon from her album Party. I love that song. I think I've played it on the show before. And I imagine the song is about a breakup. I don't know, but that's what it sounds like to me. Like a woman saying, I worked so hard in this relationship. I gave you everything and you fucked it up. You couldn't do the same you took advantage of me, you hurt me, I'm done. And suddenly it struck me, what if the planet broke up with us? What if this is a song about the planet saying, I've given you everything and you fucked it up. Bye. It's heart-wrenching because she's in pain. She didn't want this either. But at this point, she's been burned too many times. Literally. For your wounds, babe Let me fill you up With the fingers of love You can't lose, babe When you watch me play Does it feel bad, darling When they choose me Say again this place Here is your princess, 
Do I do with this for 
enjoy you no warm bath no more How can I touch somebody who won't even touch themselves? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Oh, it's tiring to me. you being a liar I'm fine with you being a killer Ooh, I'm fine with you being suicidal that shit don't bother me none no 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 but you gotta show me yourself oh you gotta show me yourself
to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. I'm your host, Lily Sloan, and today's show is all about climate anxiety. So in the first half, I'm sharing a playlist built around this theme with some talk in between. And you just heard Weather Vane by Ioana Gika from her album Talasa, which came out last week. Before that was Four Ethers by Serpents with Feet, or Serpent serpent with Feet. It's just one serpent, but with many feet. And the set opened up with Aldous Harding's Horizon. All three songs feel like tragic love songs that I decided to frame through our relationship with the Earth. I think Weather Vane uh, was a little more uh, obvious there, but... They all, they all really captured a feeling for me. So thinking about this theme more, I decided to reach out to my friend Mac, who I think is a true San Francisco treasure, carries around a tool chest full of poetry sometimes, and will read you a poem if you find him on the street. You could even walk up to him and be like, hey, this is what's going on, on in my life. Do you have a poem for that? And he will probably be able to think of something. It's amazing. Um, so he's also done some incredible projects with his kids the past couple of years. Like uh, last summer, he and his kids spent their school break writing every single Muni line from end to end. And this summer, they're hitting up every single park in the city. So he's really civically engaged. He's really concerned with... Um, yeah, the city being home, being an inclusive place, a lot of compassion and care, and I'm just so glad that I know him. So I asked him if he knew of any good poems about climate anxiety, and this is what he sent me. Here's Mac reading, having intended to merely pick a fight with an oil company. The poem goes awry. This is a poem by Bob Hickok, entitled, Having intended to merely pick on an oil company, the poem goes awry. Never before have I so resembled British Petroleum. They, it, are concerned about the environment. I, it, am concerned about the environment. They, him, convey their concern through commercials in which a man talks softly about the importance of the earth. I, doodad, convey my concern through poems in which my fingers type softly about the importance of the earth. They, oligarchs, have painted their slogans green. I, ineffectual left-leaning emotional black hole of a self-semaphore, recycle. Isn't a corporation technically a person and responsible? Aren't I technically a person and responsible? In a legal sense, in a regal sense, if romanticism holds sway? To give you a feel for how soft his voice is, imagine a kitty that eats only felt wearing a sable coat on a bed of dandelion fluff under sheets of the foreskins of seraphim. That's 
how soothingly they want to drill in Alaska in your head, just in case. And let's be honest, we mostly want them to. We mostly want to get to the bank by two so we can get out of town by three and beat the traffic. Traffic is murder this time of year. How far would you walk for bread? For the flour to make bread? A yard? A mile? A year? A life? Now you ask me, when are you going to fix your bike and ride it to work? past the plain horses and spotted cows and the spotted horses and plain cows along the river to the left of the fallen down barn and the right of the falling down barn up the hill through the Pentecostal bend and past the Methodist edifice through the speed trap beside the art gallery and cigar shop past the tattoo parlor and the bar and the other bar and the other other bar and the other, other, other bar, and the bar that closed where I swear Al-Anon meets, since I'm wondering, what is the value of the wick or wire of soul, be it emotional or notional, now that oceans are wheezing to a stop? That was the Bob Hickok poem, having intended to merely pick on an oil company, the poem goes awry. Thank you, Mac, for uh, finding that amazing poem and recording it for me. So uh, the other thing that Mac does is uh, he has a weekly poetry feature in the Bay City Beacon called Muni Poetry. And I believe these are his poems about Muni. So um, definitely check that out. What I, what I love about this poem that he shared is how well it demonstrates this overwhelming and disorienting feeling like from, from digging in and into and facing these issues. It's so, it feels so chaotic and so absurd and contradictory and, um, yeah. Anyway, let's listen to more music. Here's Anoni with Four Degrees. It's only four degrees, it's only four degrees It's only four degrees, it's only four degrees I wanna see this world, I wanna see This world I wanna see 
Creating the mother of all tempest to be Except precipitation and ionization The cloud cover hovers round 2,000 feet Descending swiftly to meet the ocean's wave Peaks along the jet stream Balls of fog sparking, rolling in Pouring needles of rain Thunder rain like God's bowling lane Crashing, clapping, the master grasping passion Expressing his anger, his angst The flashes of rain Insanity and fastening, irrationally lashing out, fashioning from his majestic means, patterns and waves gravity couldn't take. Battering seas with seas, the skies were stained with the light white pain of lightning bangs, battered gray clouds with bright silk, then fade. Devastating. 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 The dark, thick, bulbous, 
cumulus look more like swabs of cotton in a charcoal dip stretched across all four tips of the horizon yet its movement was swift but then there seemed to be a shift the squall paused with an oddness and a stillness that felt ominous now if the storm was the sermon under the earth's surface The congregation was stirring, nervous, swirling Like a serpent, turning, like a burning furnace yearning It was churning, perturbed, and quite determined to be heard So the ocean floor burst, the earthquake emerged And it formed a network of corridors Which made the earth porous The force surge forth, the surge roared And the storm that surged above, it assumed the same course now as the rain poured water, the basin pours corners And they both aimed toward the northern California shore And as the wind whispered warning, the ground hinted the long shoreman leaned forward or slower corneas in proportion he was lord by his formal introduction to the forthcoming force devastating and the rings of the Appetite of the catastrophe beast cooled Began by snacking on the panoramic view The population of people Every single house so feeble in the mouth of the storm The needle of the Richter scale teetered and trembled so beautifully warm Picturesque hail shot through the windowsill The glass splintered sail through the innards Of little children waiting for dinner They entered and exited the earth Split like dry flesh and then engulfed Two whole blocks the roofs blew off Like screw off tops The school for the arts The schooner docks Plus huge supermarkets and all It's human contents of rooted and scooped on top, like Duplo blocks. Now, few alive to announce the true accounts of rumored amounts. The rumor mill spouted huge amounts of dollar damage to doom. The trials, the tribulations. Who could do without the balance between life and total devastation? Everything around you shaking and you quaking and you feel the rocking of the foundation. This made a slant of vibrations and down you go. Your mind's been slow around you, so this is flying out of the kitchen cabinet dough. A few crashing when they smash in the windows. It's when you recognize the warring isn't just a terror in your eyes. No fear between your ears. It's thunder and the rumbling Is it all over? You're not wondering That's when the telephone pole rips through the roof And as the wife snake through your living room Nature's heavy burden is now passed on to you Your world heaves and pulls You watch the house next door Swallowed by a sinkhole It's out of control, whoa Rivets and whirlwinds Ripping the world Women and children Wait a minute, we're all in jeopardy Rivets and whirlwinds Ripping the world Women and children Wait a minute, you're all in jeopardy The wind brought the rain The rain cleared the lane for the Final days, the tidal waves, the earthquake, the storm that raged simultaneously. Rain. Smack the landmass, California, the pouring rain, the smoking flames, the earth agape, the open name, from growing pains, the broken maze, regurgitating, oil and vapor, pain, the orphan daughter screaming vain, the block became rectangular lakes, from people grieving, neighborhoods that hide to play, heavy Passengers and everybody try to stay On half a tank Hearts palpitating Valve breaking Cow staying Fault line Open wide Fault flying Close line Bicycle Blindsided by a semi Falling Cascading Golden gang Charter Following you Spiraling Until the hemorrhage and fall
to Radical Advice on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. I'm your host, Lily Sloan, and for the first half of today's show, we're hearing songs about climate anxiety and our relationship to nature in about 25 minutes or so. My guests will join me. Uh, You'll learn more about them soon, but uh, they are Johanna Blackman and Dennis Kiley, friends of mine from grad school who now live in Maine and um, are doing a lot of work around environmental activism. And so I was really excited to bring them in as both people with a therapist background and training and as a, a avid environmental activist. So definitely keep listening for that uh you just heard bloom by radiohead which i just found out recently was remade with composer hans zimmer for a promo for blue planet and uh, you can find it on youtube it's really beautiful kind of replaces some of the pieces with strings and uh yeah and there's visuals too which is nice um, before that was Storm Warning by Laterix, uh, their local hip-hop group. Um, I believe DJ Shadow produced that. One of my fellow DJs, Matt, uh, suggested it, and it was a great fit for this show. And the set opened up with Four Degrees by Anoni, which is such a powerful, intense song about destruction and maybe even this human drive for it. Of course, that's not our only deal as humans, but it's, it's definitely there inside of us. There's something really, I don't know, that can be relieving about letting go and watching the house of cards fall down. I remember walking through a department store recently and, uh, was in the section that was full of fancy China. And I just felt this really intense urge to break stuff. I didn't, I didn't break anything, but I felt like I needed to not be there because it was really uncomfortable for me to be around all that fragile stuff stacked so neatly. Uh, it kind of made me mad. And, it, and I think that it's, you know, it, our, I think, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that destructive drive, um, but some of it might relate to what that listener had written in about, like, do I even want to make things better? And, and Anoni is singing, like, I want to watch it all burn. And, and I think that that's something that's come up for me a lot, too, in the context of, you know, not just climate change, but all kinds of things that are going on, like, can this be fixed? Is this fix? Is any of this fixable? Or do we have to just burn it all down and start from scratch? Does the planet need to just say, screw you guys, <laughs> you're done. Um, you know, I, I trust that the planet can, can heal or that change is inevitable and all of that. But, uh, yeah, what have we what have we done here? And what do we want to do about it now? I don't have those answers. I just have questions. Somebody give me answers. 
So before we get to some more music, um, I just want to remind you, speaking of things that, that, that matter, <laughs> that have been built and not destroyed, uh, BFF.FM is a community radio station that is supported by listeners. And you can be one of the people supporting us uh, if you go to bff.fm slash donate and become a supporter. You can become a monthly supporter, which will make you a bestie for just $10 a month or more. And you can make a one-time donation. Um, We have two live in-person shows happening this week. Um, We have our... uh, bi-monthly concert series that's going on this summer in Jack London Square in Oakland and that is this Thursday from 6 30 to 9 p.m. Uh, we're right by the ferry terminal on the lawn there I believe the band's playing our ghost in the city and comb um, I've been to almost everyone and such great music it's a really great it's a really great scene we've got beer and wine for sale um, cool BFF swag. I get to ride the ferry. It's great. Um, and then, oh, it's also free. So yeah, that's even greater. Uh, this Saturday is our monthly concert series, the Besties Bash. Um, and that is happening at a different time than usual, but it's here at our studio and it's from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. instead of our normal earlier afternoon time. Uh, you can find out address, all of that stuff on the website. Um, bands playing are Marinero, Jessica Cueto, and Mutis as part of BFF.fm's monthly Besties Bash series. $10 suggested donation, sliding scale. And here's some songs about nature, starting with Real Outside by Drinks. <laughs> Outside, real outside. 
roll up your sleeves
you're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. I'm Lily Sloan, bringing you songs about climate, anxiety, and nature. You just heard Wild by Beach House. In it, she sings, the earth is wild, you've got no time. Before that was Julia Holter's Sea Calls Me Home. And we started out with Real Outside by Drinks, a side project of the magical Kate LeBon, who I saw recently at the chapel, which was one of the best shows I've been to in a long time. In a few minutes, I'm going to get in touch with today's guests in uh, Maine via internet magic. Um, in case you weren't sure, the way you're hearing this show is actually internet magic. Um, I, I believe involving a series of tubes. I don't know. Uh, maybe some kind of invocation of the... Uh, powers of the north east west and south earth wind and fire or some something like that but i'm not a scientist so anyway though i've known my guests uh johanna blackman and dennis kylie since we were in graduate school together over a decade ago and after graduating they went back to the east coast and through the long and winding road that is life they are very engaged in their community around climate activism. So I'm super excited to talk to them more about this and to bring that conversation to you. Um, so I'll, I'm going to put on another couple songs while I, you know, call them up because who knows? Internet magic isn't always reliable. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a question that uh, that Moses Sumney poses to us, a question that many of us may be asking ourselves every day, and that could apply quite well to this particular situation. Um, here is Doomed. You're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. Stay tuned. With inverted tongue From whence does fulfillment come And I expel From this mortal shell We're at death a living Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
advice on bff.fm best frequencies forever that was doomed by moses sumney asking the big question am i doomed i'm hoping that my guests will be able to help us answer that question no pressure so joining me via skype is johanna blackman and dennis kiley hi hello 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 Cool. We can hear you. Maybe too much. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. Awesome. <laughs> How are you two today? Good. Excited to be talking to you. It's it's great because it's like uh, being on television. Well, not when I'm, you know, when someone's on television being interviewed and there's that pause before they speak because they haven't received the question yet. 
Yes, indeed. And I'm also <laughs> grateful and excited to be here. And I'm interesting that I'm looking at the Skype screen, looking at my wife holding my young infant son, and we're like trying to navigate of like, okay, who goes first and what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're both in different locations at the moment, too. So that's, that's like, so, so many things happening right now all at once. So indeed, yeah, I would love to hear. Um, I know that uh, you two have been involved with and have started a a climate action organization in your community, and I want to hear more about what that is. Sure. So um, we moved to Maine um, a little over a decade ago now, I think, and we um, we both have been thinking about feeling about climate change for a long time and wanting to we've been involved in protests and things like that, but wanting to find something to do that was really solutions based and really felt like we were in community with others, creating um, an impactful difference. Not that, you know, protesting and raising your voice is so important, but we also wanted to be really trying to find, you know, what are we going to do in the face of this? Um, And that feeling, that desire just amped up when we started having children. So we got involved with a group of others, and it started very informally, and it really was very um, kind of based on, on climate anxiety at first. It was people getting together potlucking for dinner who were feeling anxious about climate change and wanted to find something to do. And out of that came this organization of climate to thrive, um, which has been in existence for about three and a half years now and has been working on Mount desert Island in Maine, where we live um, to move the Island towards energy independence by 2030. And so we've done things like um, helped install the first uh, solar cooperative um, in this part of Maine. We've installed a lot of EV charging stations. We've we've um, tripled the solar on the island in just like a year and a half. Um, and so and now we're starting to try to tackle really bringing all the key stakeholders on the island, the big emitters and um together and we've also worked with a lot of restaurants on sustainability on reducing plastics things like that so it's been it's been yeah really powerful i think for both of us to be involved in that it's kind of where we put all our free time outside of children <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you even have free time yeah no to put that <laughs> <laughs> but Dad, please, i don't yeah chime in <laughs> Yeah, I think Johanna did a fine job outlining more or less the background. I would also just add to that that it was initially an opportunity to be engaged. I think given what's happening in the world, it can often feel really disempowering. Yeah. And so for us, this originated out of a desire to engage locally in a way that feels empowering, that we believe that we could make a difference. And just starting in really grassroots, small ways It has blossomed from what, as Johanna said, was initially a group of potlucks and just a question more than anything of what can we do. And I think uh, contrary to a lot of a lot of the media and information out there suggests there is actually a lot of things that we can do when we put our minds to it and identify projects and actions, not to mention coming together with community members and other people who care. And so all of a sudden what started out as 
something organic and small has blossomed into something where we're now getting national attention and certainly a lot of regional and statewide recognition. In fact, what we're trying to do is largely unprecedented in the United States, and yet we're getting ever more closer to our goal and realizing how feasible it just might be. And again, it all started because we wanted to be engaged and coming together with other people and just identifying what it was that we could do. So I think in that way, it's felt really uplifting for all of us. And when the continued doom and gloom news is out there, I actually, in my own heart and mind, feel a, a kernel and spark of light knowing that I feel like I'm part of the change that we're all wanting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would just add to that that I um, there's an interview with Parker Palmer and Courtney Martin that I love. And I think it's I think Courtney says something about that um, complex complexity is best held by community. And I think mm-hmm. that climate change is one of the most complex issues that we face as humanity. And so there's this tendency, I know for me to become so anxious and to just want to kind of bury my head and feel like there's absolutely no way I can do anything. Yeah. But the the moment I like, I kind of have to force myself to take that step to start talking to others and to share how I'm feeling um, and to and to do that even in the face of being like, I'm not a scientist. I don't know, you know, everything there is to know about solar. Why am I the right person to be engaged in this? Well, I am because I care. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, mm-hmm. if I start from there, um, not only does it help ease my anxiety, but I can find the people that have that information and we actually can make a difference. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's, we need the people who care, who can do the connecting and organizing because the scientists that might not be their strong suit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there's something that we all can offer. Like I can write grants. Right. So I can give that part. Oh my God. That's huge. Nobody likes many people. Most people don't like writing grants. So no, no. I <laughs> will, don't even. Will you be my them. grant writer too? <laughs> Do you need more work? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> also, I realize I, I'm kind of I'm not even seeing your baby right now because he's he's hidden. Oh, oh, little Leo. Okay, I hadn't I hadn't met the baby yet. <laughs> I like I like having important <laughs> moments on live radio. Honestly, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's real. <laughs> yeah, and so you're you know I remember Johanna something many years ago we were talking a lot about, you know, just like what we want from our lives. And we've had a lot of conversations like that. And I remember there was a time when you were ambivalent about having children because, and you talked about climate change and the environment as one of those reasons. And I know that your thoughts around that evolved. Um, and And I just, yeah, wonder as someone who hasn't yet had children, who's concerned about that, what, what changed for you and how are you holding that you know both of you how are you holding that as parents and in raising a family Mm, that's a big question (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it's one that i'm hearing more and more people talk about you know that that feeling really real feeling of i don't know that i can feel okay about bringing children into this world um it says I have a poor network connection. Can you still hear me, Lily? I can hear you and see you. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so I I mean, I think both of us, we talked a lot about this and about the fact that we're choosing to have these two children despite feeling like we really can't know 
I mean, no one ever could know what the world, the future world of their children was going to look like. But now it's, you know, will it be safe um, for them? And that brings up so much fear as that fear of the unknown piece um, that we can't fully answer, although we can work for what we hope it will be like. And I think that we, you know, chose love and hope. Um, we wanted children and we wanted to have a family. And we, I, I know I speak for myself, I won't speak for Dennis, but, you know, this is going to probably get really hard, but I don't wish I hadn't been born. Um, I want to do what I can to try to face this challenge. Um, and so I am hoping that we can raise our children in such a way that we prepare them as best we can for that kind of uncertainty and, and, you know, all the anxiety and the emotions that will come up with it. Um, and that they might be good for the world and the world will, we hope be good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was well said, Johanna. I don't have a lot to add to that. I would just reiterate what she said that we chose from love. And I think, you know, the contrary to that is that I didn't want to be choosing from fear, especially with so much uncertainty. And I think climate change evokes so much fear already. And I some of that is very well founded and appropriate, but I don't necessarily want my actions uh, personally or professionally, and certainly with my family to be coming from fear. And I want it to be uh, chosen from love. And, you know, as Johanna alluded to as well, that, you know, I think the gift to be alive on this planet is an extraordinary one. And given that we were feeling called to have children, I didn't, you know, want to deny my children that privilege, even if they might encounter hardship, mm -hmm. which as Johanna said, hopefully we can prepare them to be best able to navigate that while being change makers. Yeah. And I think that that issue of like, are we motivated by fear? Or are we motivated by love? There's a, there's a real value to fear. Like fear is appropriate for the human species right now, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, facing climate change. It's, it's appropriate that we feel anxious and it's appropriate that we, that we are, that we are afraid and that we are alarmed. But if we stay there or we let that shut us down or keep us from acting, um, or in our case, we felt like keep us from having these two children, um, I, I don't think we'll ever find solutions. So I think it's a combination of being like, this is serious. I, I'm, I'm scared. Um, but I also, I love this planet. I love my family. I love my community. And I want to do everything I can because of that that love and that appreci appreciation to make, to, to face this and to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering too, because you two both have the background and training in, you know, psychotherapy and clinical work. And when you got to Maine, um, I know Dennis, you continue to do clinical work and Johanna, you ended up finding other, pathways for your passions and the things that felt really important to you but that background is still such a huge influence and and Dennis I'm wondering um what for you the the overlap is between your understanding and your work as a as a psychotherapist or as a counselor I don't know what you're calling yourself at the moment label wise but maybe you can clarify that but what that overlap is for you between that work and climate change and like how how we're in relation to our environment and coping 
Yeah, so you're right. The My background in psychology has very much informed all of what I do. And right now, actually, I'm moving more away from the clinical work as I've started a new business called the Eco Psychology Initiative. And we work with individuals and organizations to solve problems and uh, realize aspirations by using the principles of nature and psychology. And some of that is around climate psychology in particular. And so I think to re you know, respond to your question, I think psychology is important in everything we do. And it's both helping people navigate the complexities of their feelings and experiences and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard enough as it is for an individual or any type of facilitator or support system, but it's even harder when you're not drawing upon sound psychological underpinnings to really support that process. Right. Because, you know, for example, with climate change, there's a lot of feelings of grief and associated emotions with that, like the five stages of grief. And so yeah. I think if people don't get the helpful facilitation, they end up stuck in one of those places that ultimately isn't constructive for them. And it also impedes their capacity to move forward and really engage in their community in really meaningful and positive ways. And part of the work that I've been doing is consulting with both individuals and organizations about how to apply what we know about psychology to inform communications and decision-making and planning and organization. Because I think, again, climate change has a lot of really entrenched psychological difficulties that yeah. make it hard for people to engage with. Uh, not to mention sustain action and follow through. And so it becomes really important that we're not only working hard, but, hard, but we're working smart as well. And candidly, I think a lot of environmental movements and messaging haven't really drawn upon effective psychology to maximize their impact. So that's some of what I'm doing is drawing upon my background in psychology, both with individuals, but with organizations and groups and communities so that people can be a little more smart and effective with how they uh, utilize psychology to make a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge. I, I mean, I just think I almost framed the first half of the show in terms of the five stages of grief, and then I didn't have time. <laughs> but um, that I was thinking about that a lot yesterday. Um, and and also thinking about how for me and not everyone is this way, but for me to get to that place of reasonable, sustainable action, I have to kind of melt down and go through the grief. Like I have to move through the anger, the despair, the like, why is this even happening stuff before I can kind of come out the other side and say, mm -hmm. okay, what are like, what's something mm -hmm. I can do today? And I, th mm -hmm. and I think that it's really, I think it's true, like without knowing that about yourself or without having the facilitation, it's really hard to move through it. Exactly. So, yeah. And I think that also just finding the language, like that's a huge part of moving through grief too, is, is finding the language and that awareness of, of what you're experiencing and the language for it. And um, it's been just extraordinary watching Dennis teach these classes, classes on, you know, climate gr change and grief mm -hmm. um, and the response from people. And I think a huge part of it is, is finding a place where they can talk about it and can, and can talk about it through that psychological lens and then have that opportunity to process it and move through. Yeah. Um, and there, there actually was, it's, interesting that we're having this conversation today because the guardian um posted this article today on climate stress and and anxiety oh, 
And it's really fascinating because they're talking about like the need to think about even new, new types of grief um, or applying like kind of really nuanced former types of grief that we know, know about like the feeling of being homesick in your own home. Yeah. Being, you know, in this natural landscape that you've gotten used to seeing behave in a certain way and seeing changes and the grief that you can feel about, like something that has felt like home and felt like a safe space, a predictable space that like so many of us go out in nature when we're overwhelmed. Right. And then if it starts to be this space that like, you know, is, is behaving differently because of climate change, the different nuanced emotions that we have around that finding the language to understand what we're feeling, I think is going to be so critical so that we don't just shut off or don't right. become you know, alienated from the natural world world just when we need to be more connected to it. Right. Right. And I would add into there that I think, you know, you were alluding to the five stages of grief as well, Lily, and that that final one is acceptance. And I think if we can move through our emotions and they needn't all be grief, it could be anxiety or otherwise. But when we move through those in a really constructive way, it transforms us really beautifully and so that we end up even more open-hearted and we are in some ways better people and we're better able to engage our lives in the world. And yet that only happens if we really give ourselves to the experience and the process. Right. And I think what happens for some people is they get lost in the grief or they get lost in the anxiety. And that ultimately is counterproductive in all ways. Whereas if there is the support and the opportunities to really follow the path all the way through, then all of a sudden we emerge in a way that we're just as loving as ever. We see the beauty of the landscape and all around us. And there is a way that we're prepared to engage and impact our environments really positively. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the challenges, and, and I see this in all kinds of issues, but in this one um, specifically, is that as time keeps going by, more destruction continues. And so we have to continually be grieving the stuff that's already lost as our the speed at which we are making change around this is slower than the speed at which the destruction is happening. And there's stuff that just won't, like we're we're not in the mode anymore where can we repair the earth back to what it was we're in the mode of how can we stop it from getting worse and do whatever repair is possible and so there's so much grief and acceptance just in that in realizing that like some damage is already done and we have to adapt our lifestyles and our world to to meet that situation yeah and i think that human humans are not great at handling that complexity of like i know for me and i think for many we like to think that we can fix it you oh, know yeah. that like if there's a problem we're gonna solve it a hundred percent whereas we have to now do this like very complex mixture of there's certain like you said um damage that's been done that we can't fix and having to grieve that and having to except that we have done that, you know, mm -hmm. that humans have done that, um, that it hasn't been done to us, but also be able to within that see that there is still a window where we can really make effective change and keep this from going completely off the rails. It's right. a really complex scenario. And that's where I think it, community is so important. And talking about this is so important because I, we can each only hold so much. Yeah. But if we're doing this collectively, um, I think that there's there's a strength that can handle. Oh, lost. Handle. Oh, there you are. Sorry, you cut out for a sec. 
but I give you a strength that can yeah, settle it. Yeah. I would chime in there that Johanna's right, that we need community and we need opportunities to come together to process and talk and share. And yet I would add the caveat to that, that I think it's most helpful if that is put together in a constructive manner because people just coming together to talk about how bad things are or how we're doomed and there's no way out of this or look at all the evidence that's not ultimately empowering and so not to say that people shouldn't be having conversations with their neighbors and peers but one of the things that we did with our work with the climate to thrive is we were committed that yes we wanted to come together and talk but we also just as much wanted to ensure that there was action and so for some people, um, you know, I encourage them to make sure that they find places where they feel like they're making a difference. But even if it's not only that, I think trying to have groups or ways that people come together where there's conversation, but it's facilitated in such a fashion that ultimately it feels effective and empowering and doesn't just cycle people further into that spin of doom and gloom and then you know ultimately i think people are then less prepared to go forth um trying to do their part yeah yeah well and i and hey johanna i saw that you you got dropped but you're back hi, hi. <laughs> um i was even thinking about that with today's show because i i definitely get got get caught in doom and gloom plenty and so for me, it was like, how do I kind of build a show around climate anxiety that is constructive in any way? Um, and I think part of that was having you two on because <laughs> you two definitely contrast my doom and gloom uh, way of being in the world in general. But um, <laughs> but like, you know, I kind of started, I, you know, shared songs that are kind of about the problem and about how it feels and really wanting to acknowledge that, but also, you know, shared some stuff about, you know, the beauty of nature and then also wanting to talk to you two about here's an example of something of, of like people who are doing something and it's having an impact in their community. And that's so that's so important to hear those stories because it it it's never enough. It never feels like enough. And yet it's something and it's not it's not a small thing and and so I kind of wonder like I'm I'm thinking too about this like grassroots change versus mm -hmm. like I I think our government should be doing a lot of things that you that your organization is doing in your community and this should be happening on a really large scale and it doesn't seem like that's really how the change is going to happen or at least not yet. Like it's almost like there needs to be a lot more examples of what you're doing to push things on a bigger scale in that direction. And is that, is that kind of like what the hope is or how, how you see doing that from a grassroots yeah. level? Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's that, being able to hold kind of the both and Dennis talks about this a lot in the, in the eco psychology initiative that, you know, it's both we're trying to lead as an example and trying to influence the larger um, process at mm -hmm. hand and, and being able to recognize that, yes, like if, if our action here on this Island in Maine is all that happens out of this, like, 
let's stop climate change. But the, if we can build this incredibly effective solution in this one community, that can be duplicated in other communities. And can we be at the same time trying to influence policy and doing so from a place of experience of knowing, you know, what are the policies that would actually help this get done on a large scale? Yeah. Um, and that's again where it like I, I got I got cut. The iron she just got cut off there is <laughs> she, is she was saying I got cut off. Um, and I'll just chime in until she's able to reemerge, but uh-huh. and not to be a Pollyanna and just say, oh, everything's going to be fine and it'll all work out. And yet I've really drawn a lot of solace and inspiration from Margaret Mead's quote that's to the effect of never doubt that a small and committed group of citizens can make a difference because it's the only thing that can. And so on one hand, we need top down, strong hierarchical leadership and proactive action on, you know, very big systemic levels. That said, just to come back to this organization, the climate to thrive, as Johanna said, we were a grassroots group of people on our island. And yes, there were some leaders in our community who were some of our early founders and you know, we weren't necessarily that special or prestigious. And skip ahead, we had a chance because of some of our successes to meet with the Democratic candidate for governor uh, oh. in the most recent election. Nice. And this was something that she wouldn't have met with us if she wasn't aware of some of the actions we had taken. Right. And to date, she had kind of tiptoed around climate change. And not that I don't think her heart and mind was in the right place with that, but she hadn't really taken a really proactive stance. Right. And I'll say that a couple of us got to meet with her and really pressed her to come out more proactively to talk about climate change. And at the end of that, shortly thereafter, on some of her campaign speeches, it became much more prominent in what she was talking about. And in her opening State of the Union address after she was elected, she talked about putting solar panels on, you know, what's called the Blaine House yeah. and not mention that said that climate change was going to be an important part of her campaign. And I don't want to overstate the influence we had. But on the other hand, I don't want to understate it that, totally. you know, when yeah. people put it together, we can make a difference. Yeah. And I think the greatest threat with climate change is that it leads us to hopelessness and disempowerment and apathy. Yeah. I have um, a couple of questions as we're kind of coming near to the end to ask you two. So one, one of them is what is what are one or two simple things that people could do like today or this week to push the needle in that direction? Hmm. I know that's a hard one. <laughs> what are two? I mean, I would say this is not overly specific, but I think it's intended to be specific, is to really map your life and look at the various places where you might be able to take more green actions. And so depending on your budget, maybe it's adding a small percentage that's organic, or maybe it's trying to reduce the amount of waste that you are producing. It might be calling your local legislators and elected officials. It might be saying, all right, how can I drive less and use more public transit? And so those are just some immediate, very personal actions that you can take that uh, the ripples of which might not be as large. But then I would say, find other people who care about similar issues and whether those are people that you know well, get them to come together and say, all right, what are things that we can collectively do that maybe leverage our impact even more? Or it might be if you're in an already established community, let's say in the Bay Area, surely there are environmental organizations and groups. 
and start to identify those that seem like they're really taking tangible actions mm -hmm. and then say, all right, how can I get involved? Because it's not only that you're then making more of an impact, but the felt sense um, in some respects, why Johanna and I got involved was selfish because it feels good mm -hmm. to be around like-minded people and to think you're making a difference. And yeah. so I guess in that way, identifying ways that you can find local groups and organizations that are making a difference. I would add to that, that make sure it feels heartfelt for you. Don't just choose something like if you're not into protests, then don't worry about going to protests. Or if your thing is not, you know, whatever the case might be, don't force yourself and superimpose the I should do this or I have to do that, but find what brings you passion. Because if it's cultivating joy in your life and it feels good, you're going to want to do more of it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if you're just doing it out of expectation uh, and burden, then you're going to tire of it and it won't have any lasting power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, this is again a Parker Palmer thing, but he talks about... Um, our sense of calling um, and purpose in life. He looks at, you know, what are my passions and talents and what are the needs of my community and where do those two overlap? And in that intersection is my sense of purpose. And mm, so this is yeah. a complex issue that we need the unique passions and talents of each person. Um, so, so taking time to think about that is one thing that you could do. Like what, what do I have to give? Is it, financial resources? Is it, you know, am I a good writer? Am I um, a good speaker? Do I have some scientific knowledge? You know, where, where might that oversec over overlap be? Right. Um, I also was going to say that project drawdown is an incredible resource. Um, mm -hmm. It is available online for free. Um, you can, you can start to navigate it there. And basically um, scientists have come together and identified kind of the, 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 the key things that could have the greatest impact on climate change, the key shifts um, and behaviors and solutions. And I think that this problem is so vast, it's hard to know, you know, in the, in the time I do have, am I actually making the choices that will have the greatest impact? Right. And so Project Drawdown does a really good job of, you know, here's, you know, the most important things that we could do as far as renewables go. And so if you have time, take a look at that and see, what are things within their list that overlap with changes that you could make or places that you could have an influence? Yeah. Um, that can be a really, really helpful guide. And then I think, you know, this goes along with getting together with like-minded people, but really with anybody, start talking about this more. Like if yeah. it's something that you're feeling, if it's something that you're worrying about, talk about it. And that can be scary because people have a lot of different um, opinions about climate change. And a lot of those opinions, I think, are emotionally driven, um, whether it's attachment to money, whether it's attachment to a lifestyle. Um, it's a tricky thing to talk about, but I think we have to. And the more that we talk about it, the more we give other people permission to do that, too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I would just add, like, those are a lot of great ideas and um to remind people that it's about picking one or two to start and not yeah. and not being like I have to do all of it all at once because you will burn out. But no, but some things might become just normal in your life and then you can add something else. Yeah. Um so okay, one last question uh that's a little bit of a divergence, but I like to ask my guests this when I have time. Um this is for both of you. Um, uh -oh. Yeah, 
I know both of you, you know, with your training and everything, you know, have been to psychotherapy yourself. And I am wondering what about the process you would you kind of maybe wish you knew then when you were just starting that, you know, now. Or and, and maybe it doesn't have to be like a regrets kind of thing, but just something that you know now that that might have been interesting or useful to know when you first started. When we first started psychotherapy? Yeah. As, as, a, as a client? Yeah. 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 That's a really exceptional question. Yeah, I'm going to need a quick moment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, to like target in on one thing. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe, and I might, the, my response might evolve a little bit. Yeah. But that's, that's allowed, by the way. If, it's a good therapist. It should feel like a good combination of you're leading the process mm. while also having somebody with you that's shining a light that illuminates like the next steps for you. Mm. Interesting. So I think yeah. That going into it, I had fears around being pushed too far too fast. Yeah. And I don't think there'll be moments that you're invited, um, to, to, to move into discomfort. And that's a good thing. Um, but that, that it should be that, that balance of like, you're leading this process to a degree while also having this incredible light that's illuminating it for you. Yeah. So like finding that optimal discomfort, yeah. more, that's more empowering too. Yeah great yeah can I just say what she said yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> well I, I don't think mine's going to be nearly as insightful but for me I I didn't really listen to my intuition and I didn't initially as I was looking for therapists I didn't initially value the relationship enough and yeah. so for example I went through a couple of therapists that I stayed with in hindsight longer than I needed to because it was they weren't the right fit, but I didn't trust my intuition enough. I thought that, oh, maybe it's me or I should just keep doing this. Yeah. And so I think I would just say similar but different from Johanna of when you find the right person, it'll feel right. Mm. And um, who feels it knows it. So if you're feeling it with that person intuitively, even if they might not check the boxes to trust that, but conversely as well, and perhaps even more importantly, is if it doesn't feel like that sparks there, um, don't keep talking yourself into it and to be willing to change and to give your, and I would say to normalize going into it, that it might not be the right fit right off the bat. And I might have to experiment a couple of times, but ultimately when there is that synchronicity and that clicking with you know what I'm needing and who I am with that other person, something really alchemical and magical happens. Mm. And, I think that only happens when we really listen to ourselves and what we're feeling and, you know, more often than not what we're not feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. And I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, it, it could be like, oh, well, I went to that person who was available, who's on my insurance panel and like, and that's, and that's a real limitation. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah, like I, I, I want for everyone for them to be able to have that opportunity to really find a fit that feels good 
Yeah. Thank you both so much. This was such a treat. I'm glad this worked out last minute. Um, Thank you very much for having us. It's a great honor and privilege to be able to talk about something that we care about so much and with you specifically. And kudos to all the work that you're doing, Lily. Thank you. Where yeah. so where do you want uh, people to find find uh, you both and the work you're doing in various ways on the internet? I can go first. Uh, like I said, I've started this business that uses the principles of nature and psychology to solve problems and realize our potential. And it's called the Eco Psychology Initiative. So if you just go to EcoPsychologyInitiative.com, you can find more about the work that I'm doing. And then this organization we're a part of is called A Climate to Thrive. Awesome. And that's climatethrive.org. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say climatethrive.org. And then my project, I'm working on a project um, exploring the nuances of parenting at a time of climate change, but it's not out there yet. So just watch for it. So excited. (laughs) Um, So cool. And I would actually like to make a a shameless, but also as much as I can be unbiased plug that Johanna is an exceptional writer and she has a blog called Considered Days. Uh, It's really, it's, it's beautiful. It's heartfelt. It's inspiring. And uh, though your personal anecdotes and sharing Johanna, I think it's something that we all can learn from. So uh, do you want to say the exact address for that? Yeah, it's considered days. So there's two D's in a row. Dot yeah. com. All right. Yeah, it is beautiful. I've been, I've been. Yeah. I mean, you've been writing that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Since when it was. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and you had another blog before that. Yeah. That kind of yeah. merged into that. Yeah. So I really appreciate your writing as well, and Thank I appreciate you. both of you so much. I'm so glad to know you both, and also to have gotten to and meet Baby Leo. <laughs> He's still sleeping. Amazing. He's great. Yeah. He just hangs out for your, you know, live radio appearances. And yeah, yeah. cool. He's right. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Well, thank, thank you. All right. Have a great day. Yeah. Well, bye. Take care. Bye. That was wonderful. Thank you all so much for, uh, for being tuned in and um, listening to the show today. Like I said at the beginning, next week is uh, my birthday. And so I'm going to not do radical advice. We'll have a rerun playing. Um, but I will be on Boy With Girls Name Morning Mixtape from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific time with my dear DJ neighbor and friend Sasha. Um, whose birthday it also will be. So we are going to have a birthday show together. Um, And then I will be back with you all on the 28th. Um, So yeah, follow on Twitter at Radical underscore advice. Find the show on Facebook. Go to RadicalAdviceShow.com and please send in your life questions. such a it's such a delight to hear from people and to hear even you know even when it's really painful stuff just to be connecting with listeners and and knowing that you're out there and that you know there's we've all got shit going on and so I really appreciate all of you and really appreciate hearing from you um I'm gonna close out the show with a really beautiful piece uh from Kid Koala and Emiliana Torini 
from music to draw to called nightfall pale blue of course the pale blue is referring to our planet earth as carl sagan uh talked about and caught in the original cosmos the good cosmos um here it is thanks again It's over.